I'm excited to start speaking today because we're starting this new series. And, um, but before, before I, I kind of like unveil a little bit and unleash it, one of my favorite movies from a decade ago was The Matrix. Not Matrix 2 or 3, Matrix 1. And so this guy, Neo, discovers that, there's, that he's really in like a computer system. It's not like the real world. And, um, but what he, what he comes to discover as he develops and gets mentored um, through that is that the world he lives in is just kind of like a, is, is a computer-created world. And there's the last scene of the movie is, is Neo, who's the key actor, Keanu Reeves, finally comes to understand how he can almost become one with the Matrix. Um, and then, all of a sudden, the, the whole screen turns binary code. And you see the, you see the image of, of Neo, and you see the room that he's in. You can go to that picture. And you see the people around him, and everything is just binary code. Binary code is zeros and ones mixed up in different configurations to create, uh, really, a computer language. And I love this scene because we, we see... We see what's going on in his world at the moment, but all created by these two digits. Now, I'm not promoting that this is real or true or something we can just jump onto, but what I love about this image is this. Binary code is so interesting. Two digits. Now, some of you computer guys in here, girls can, you know, maybe make this clearer than me, but two digits that become the base for a language. Two digits that become the base for code. Two digits that become the base for multiple and multiple commands. Imagine two digits, zero and one, put together in different configurations to create a whole language. Pause for a second. Imagine life, or imagine if an amazing life could be created with just a few elements. Imagine if the life that so many people long for could be created with just a few elements. Not zeros and ones, but just a few elements. Elements that would resonate with your heart. Elements that would resonate with those around you. Elements that would help you live a life that would impact people around you. So today we're starting this series. It's called Faith, Hope, and Love. One early church community reflected these three characteristics so much that when the Apostle Paul wrote to this new church, he starts to speak about these three characteristics. And I want to I read it with you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to read 10 verses and then focus in on just a couple. So here we go from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here's Paul, the apostle, first century, writing to this church in a town called Thessalonia. And he writes these words, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, this is from them, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember our God and our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we knew, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about you, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's just pause and pray for a moment. Father, there's so much um, to grasp from your word, and today we pause and take this piece of scriptures, and we invite you, God, we welcome you to have your way in our lives through your words. Shape us and mold us. Um, God, the aches in our heart today or the longings in our heart or even the things we're celebrating about, God, we pray that somehow you would work within all that draw us closer to you and your purpose for our lives. And for some who are exploring today and giving um, an ear to this message from you, would you be at work in their hearts and may they come to know how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love this text. One of my favorite texts in the New Testament because it's so exciting. It's so filled with passion and celebration. Paul is applauding this church's witness. He's applauding this church's influence. This church is not an old church. This church is not 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 or 100 years old. This church is likely a few months to maybe a year to a year and a half old. This is a new church that Paul had helped plant. And very likely he's writing this letter from... uh, from, uh, just after he was imprisoned in another town called Philippi. The reality is that maybe only a few months, maybe a couple of years old, this church is already facing difficulty and persecution. Paul speaks about the suffering they've experienced. Maybe they've been marginalized because of their faith. Maybe they've been persecuted because of it. Maybe it's just the tension and wrestling of what it means to now follow Jesus in their pluralistic world and culture of that town and that city. And yet Paul says there's these signs of life among you. And he, he, he thanks God for them. And he talks about these signs of life, this faith and hope and love. And these aren't new words for Paul. These aren't new terms for Paul. Paul likes to use these terms and, and, and Paul sees them as part of what it means to, to live as a follower of Jesus. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, often called the love chapter, but it's a chapter that speaks about our motivation to serve and he, he again comes down to those three terms that faith, hope, and love remain. And he often uses one of those words throughout his letters to describe the Christian faith, the Christian walk. And here are these core elements, these core elements of what drive these followers. I love it. Notice, and notice what Paul does. He doesn't just say, I love your faith, I love your hope, I love your love. I just take notice of this all the time. He doesn't just name them as virtues. He doesn't use them as these positive sentiments or says, hey, you should put these up on your wall as value statements. These are great positive words. Why don't you bring them to work and put them on a mug and look at faith all day long or look at hope all day long or look at love all day long and maybe it'll inspire you and make you feel better when someone bugs you at work. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He doesn't point to them in that way. They all lead to something. It's so exciting to see how these three elements produce a certain kind of life. And when you read it, it sounds, it looks attractive. It says, your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. 
your endurance inspired by hope. On their own, and even more so together, these three words become the source for an extraordinary life. And what so captures my heart when I read this, and it captures my attention, is that any human being that we lock eyes with longs for these things. Anybody that we know looks for these things. Anybody that we meet or interact with, family, friend, coworker, even enemy, would admit, if they were honest, that these three things are part of what make a life that anybody would long for. Think about the stories we've, that captivate our hearts. Think about the stories that captivate our imagination. Think about the last movie you saw recently. Do any of them have this theme? The recent movie I saw was called The Chef, where John Chavreau plays a chef and he loses his job and he's humiliated on the internet. And, but he, because he loves his son, because he, he, he understands how he's been gifted as a cook, he has hope, he pursues with faith that he can start something brand new. And you, you watch a story like that and these themes start to resonate. Say, everybody longs for something like this. What great struggle isn't persevered by hope? What great achievement isn't propelled by faith. What great creation is not a labor of love? Think about that. Erwin McManus shares an illustration of how most works of art can often be summarized in two or three basic shapes. Think about that. When you look at a work of art, when you look at architecture, when you look at a design, often what do you see? You see three, three or four basic shapes. A square, a triangle, and a circle. In almost every painting, in almost every design and architecture, you will see a line, you will see an angle, you will see a curve. And yet those, I mean, these basic shapes look so simple. And then yet you look, some of the, look at some of the designs, look at some of the paintings, look at some of the artwork, look at some of the creations in our world, and all those three basic shapes have kind of been formulated, put together, and have created a masterpiece. What Paul noticed in this church in their lives is they were producing something so beautiful and at the core of it was these elemental shapes of faith, hope, and love. Next few weeks we're going to talk about um, all these three, but today we're going to focus on faith. That's how Paul starts and I want to start with that and just focus on this today. Think about a work produced by faith. What is faith? Paul uses this word so much in his letters. He uses it so much when he describes what it means to follow Jesus, when he describes a church. He uses it as a, as a noun form, as a verb form, as a descriptive word. He uses it in so many ways. What's faith? For some, faith is believing the impossible. For some, faith is a confidence in something or themselves. For some, it's risking a step that you believe you must take to move forward that will lead to something. Most people who have entered, let's say, a relationship like marriage didn't enter that relationship without faith that that person is the person or this relationship is the right relationship. Most people don't risk changing a job if they don't at least have some faith in the role or in their gifts or skills or in the company or the opportunity. Think of something huge like Martin Luther King who had faith in his cause. He had faith that there was good in, some, in people to recognize that we shouldn't be judged by the color of our skin. Whenever you walk on an airplane, you trust the designer. You, trust, you have faith in the builder. You have faith in Bombardier, whatever company built that plane. You have no clue often what's going on. 
Someone who used to come to Westside, uh, Jerry Ramos, he was the weight engineer at Bombardier. So he, he made sure that the, the plane wouldn't tip when it was in the air if four or five people went to the bathroom at the same time or something, you know? Like, it's complicated, right? 30,000 feet in the air. We, have, we put our faith in certain things. And Scripture's basic understanding of faith isn't that much different at its core. Faith is ultimately trust, what you put your trust in. For, for Paul, faith would have been putting your trust in something other than you and your circumstances. It doesn't mean that we can't say, I've put my faith in my friend. Or would you put your faith in me for this? Or I'm going to put my faith in this next step. But the way Paul uses the word faith is beyond that, beyond a person or a circumstance. It's putting our faith in God. There's two basic um, beliefs behind Paul's use of the word faith. And it would be one, that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. This historical act that happened in history. And secondly, that, someone's respo- that faith is someone's response to God's love for them. So faith, how Paul would maybe categorize it is, one, something happened in history. And we call this the resurrection of Jesus. We call Jesus Lord and we believe God raised him from the dead. And secondly, faith is also someone's response to the love of God for them. But it still comes back to trust. In verse 9, Paul says that, that these, these Christians, these believers, were talked about by other people in their town and in their region. And he said, we've heard how they, they talk about how you turned to God. How you turned to God. When you turn to something, you turn from something, right? If I turn to something, I'm turning away from something else. These people turned to God and they turned from what Paul calls idols. An idol, of course, in a traditional sense might be, you know, uh, like someone who thinks a God is in some kind of like physical form or statue or temple or something like that. But an idol is something you believe that will give you the life you're looking for. An idol is something we turn to where we say, we're going to trust this thing to give us the life we long for. Sometimes it's it's ideological. Sometimes it's an idea. Sometimes it's a worldview. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's physical. It's an actual thing. But it's always trust. It's always trust. These people, Paul says, turned away from whatever they used to believe, gave their life meaning and purpose, and they turned to God. Their faith shifted. If there's one way we can describe faith, it's it's here on the screen, and I want to say it this way. Faith changes what we depend on. Faith changes what we depend on. Faith changes what we depend on. We turn to something and from something else. Okay, let's make a deal. So today... Let's say we say, at the end of the gathering, when we leave this room, we're all going to commit to three things. From now until 2014, you ready to commit to this? I will not use my cell phone. I will not use my stove. And I will not Google for answers. Anybody ready to commit to that? Why not? That's tough, eh? Imagine for the next four months we say, I will not use my cell phone, I will not use my stove, I will not use the internet. I will not depend on those things for the next four months. What would you do? At first you might deny it and say, I can go without my phone for four months. Who needs a stove? I got matches and wood in my backyard. You know, I don't need Google. I'm going to just rip out 
my old Encyclopedia Britannica from my parents or grandparents and see if I can find something there. And at first you might deny it. Then you might start getting anxious, sweat a little bit. And if you really take the challenge, eventually you might actually learn to adapt to not depending on those things. Figure it out. See, faith is ultimately what you trust to give you life. Faith is ultimately what you depend on. That's why changing faith is life-changing. That's why changing what you put your faith in is life-changing. Their faith was in God. And something so extraordinary happened that led these people to put their faith in God, the God who raised Jesus from the dead. So here's two, two questions that we'll just kind of finish with and move, move with. What leads you to faith or what led them to faith? And where does our faith lead us? Two important questions. What leads us to faith or what led them to faith and what can we see from that? And where does our faith lead us? Where does our faith lead us? What does our faith lead us to? First question, what, what leads you to faith? Paul believed and he says this. He says, God chose you. I know God chose you because I've seen that you've turned to him and you've put your faith in him. And sometimes is, uh, is used as, oh, God chose them, but not somebody else. But the word chosen is really language that Paul uses for family. It's not that God just chooses someone and doesn't choose someone else. It's when we respond to his love, we become part of his chosen people, his family. That's why John later in the New Testament says how lavished we are that we can be called children of God. We feel like God has literally just picked us out and said, I love you. You're my son or you're my daughter. And Paul says, I know you're chosen because you have turned to God. You've put your faith in him. It's a way that saying God has welcomed them into his family. And something amazing happened when they heard the gospel. When they heard about this message of Jesus, something happened to them. Paul says, the gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. So Faith is something happened in history. We call Jesus Lord. He's raised from the dead. But Paul says, the gospel came to you, not just in words, but in power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, with a deep conviction in your heart. In other words, Paul's saying, you really believed this. You really put your faith in this. Something happened that you really did turn your trust to God. It's amazing. Jesus promised in the Gospels, that the Holy Spirit would convict people about him. And that's what's happening to these people in this town. The Holy Spirit's leading them and guiding them. Something profound is going on here. Now the context here, just listen to this for a second. The Thessalonians were one of the first non-Jewish people to come to faith. One of the first non-Jewish people to believe in Jesus. So imagine this. The Jesus message in the first century initially was... Was, was, was reaching Jews. And it was Jewish contextual because it came out of the Jewish story and Israel's story. But imagine this, Thessalonians, first non-Jewish people to hear this crazy message with Jewish A crazy message with Jewish roots to a non-Jewish crowd. And something happened. They believed. See, they didn't have the cultural or ethnic connection to the message of Jesus. It wasn't part of their tradition, yet something captivated them. That's why Paul says, the gospel came to you not just in words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. N.T. Wright describes it this way. He says, quite ordinary people had done something extraordinary 
in response to an unprecedented message. I love that quote. Quite ordinary people had done something extraordinary in response to an unprecedented message. They were surprised by this message. This message wasn't in their cultural framework. This message wasn't in their family for three generations. This message wasn't in, in, in the city books. This message wasn't in their cultural understanding. So just think for a second, how could a group of people so steeped in a life depending on rulers of their age a life depending on the gods and shrines and practices of their culture, not familiar with Jewish culture, turn to God. How could that happen unless God was really at work through the gospel? How could that happen unless God was really doing something? Unless these people really changed, as they changed their faith, they changed their life. Because God was really at work in the gospel. So what, do we, what if we say that in a way that makes sense for us today. How could someone today that's so steeped in a consumeristic culture, in a militaristic culture, in a culture that calls us to depend on so many different things, in a culture that that just draws us to live by constant and constant affirmation and the search for significance and the idea of success, how can a people, how can someone who is steeped in a, in, in a culture that is ruled by that, who's steeped in a culture with different kinds of gods and different kinds of shrines and different kinds of practices, turn to God. How is it possible? It's possible because God is still really at work through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's possible. That's what led them to faith. Something happened, and it led them to faith. They responded. Now, for some of us, that's where faith stops. Oh, awesome. I have faith. Like George Michael's song from like 15 years ago makes sense. I got to have the faith. I got faith. Good. Cool. I got it. Now I'm good. 25 years ago. Wow, that was okay. (laughs) I was in, I don't know. I I was still in high school. Um, How crazy. We, We, some of us, some people who come to faith in Jesus, stop there. It's like, cool, I got faith, I got Jesus, I got God, I got heaven. And stop there. For too many Christians, they stay right there in the faith and they never move forward living by faith. It's amazing that Paul doesn't just applaud their faith. He says something beyond that, right? It's not enough to just be led by faith or led to faith. It's not enough to just be led to faith. We need to be led by faith. Many people are led to faith And they can feel like, awesome, I have belief. Paul says, pushes us more. And what he applauds these people, he says, these people have been living by faith, by their faith. That's what Paul is excited about. So the next question is, where does faith lead you? Not just what leads you to faith, but where does faith lead you? And I love that phrase that, that Paul uses to describe these people. He says, your work, I'm thankful for your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. Faith produces something. Faith leads to something. Faith shapes us into something or someone. Faith leads to life. Paul tells us that these people's faith rang out from their small little city. They, they discovered faith in, in Thessalonica, but then it, it went on to Macedonia and Achaia and the other regions. Their faith was, was creating something. Their faith was producing something. Their faith was a witness and an influence beyond themselves. Their faith began to be the epicenter of this movement that started to spread across the region. See, the early church wasn't just about evangelism. It wasn't just that the message sp- spread. 
It was that the love and hospitality and care and genuineness and conviction of the kingdom spread. See, faith accomplishes something. Faith produces something. Faith leads to a life of impact to people around us. And I love Paul's phrase, your work produced by faith. Another New Testament writer would attest to this. He says, faith without works is dead. Why would you have faith and nothing is produced from it? James believes that our faith is not earned, but our faith produces something. So here's the question. If you or me have been led to faith in Jesus, then what is our faith producing? See, your faith will, my faith, our faith in Christ will lead us to a different life. Our faith will lead us to bless others. Our faith will not just be held on to ourselves. It's meant to be spread, but it's, it's meant to be spread in word, but it's meant to be spread in life and creativity and action and service. I don't know, I think Erwin McManus says this. He says, faith has been corrupted by our convenience mentality. Faith has been corrupted by our convenience mentality. Sometimes faith is like this self-soother for, for people, including myself. We can become comfortable. Too often we see faith through the lens of culture, this, this lens of convenience, this lens of comfort. Yet the kind of faith that Paul's talking about here and echoed through Scripture is this robust conviction that translates into life, into action, into into innovation, into creativity, into blessing for other people. And the beauty of it is it, it equally takes the pressure off of you and me that what we produce identifies us. It, it takes the pressure off of us because we know we didn't arrive here on our own. God loves us. He chose us. He equips us. He speaks to us. And so we, we responded to his words. And in doing so, we came to faith. And so we don't live with the pressure of, I got to produce, I got to produce, I got to produce. But at the same time, because of what Jesus is doing in us, our life means something. And that's a beautiful balance with the gospel. Culture doesn't have that balance, but the gospel has that balance. Cultures often produce, 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 and this is what you're known for. The gospel says you can't earn coming to faith. You can't create this to happen in your own heart. This is something that God does and you respond to. But then as God works in us, something comes out of that. Something overflows. I love it. So tomorrow morning when you walk into work and you feel, how are you going to produce? It's not because your life is dependent on the affirmation that you're going to get from other people, but it's because you're already chosen. You're part of God's family in Christ. Wonder, oh, I, I want to love my kids or my spouse or my friends or my neighbors this week. And it's not because you're hoping that they'll love you back, but because you have a faith in a loving God that calls you son, that calls you daughter, and that fills you. You can create and innovate this week, not because you have to prove something to the world, but because God says, you're my masterpiece. You're my masterpiece. And I've created you in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so when we move forward from, to create and innovate and act and, and strategize, we don't need to do that to prove something to the world. We can do that because God has already said, I've made you a masterpiece. I love you. So we are led to faith, and then our faith leads to life. We're led to faith, and our faith leads to life. Let me just finish with a short story. I met a girl a couple of years ago named Nicole. We actually almost hired her at Westside for a role here. And in her process with us, 
she was wrestling with uh, God's calling on her life to do something in international missions. She was quite young at the time, still 22, 23. And uh, her last co-op in university was at an organization called Seeds in South Africa. And somehow she believed that God was going to call her back there one day, but she didn't know how. She didn't know how that would come about. And I remember this process, us uh, looking for someone in that role, and it was tough because, you know, in any kind of that process, you get to something, oh, this is great, and then it doesn't work out because God throws a wrench in it for them, for us, and, and something happened that created some funding that made it possible for her to consider going back to South Africa. But that was three years ago. And um, just yesterday, she had posted, we're friends on Facebook and things like that, and, and I get her newsletter, and she posted a picture of a plane and said, three years ago this summer, I embarked on a journey trusting that God would lead me back to serve in South Africa, and today I'm stepping on the plane, and the funding has slowly come in. My family and friends and community are around me. I'm connected to an organization, and I thought, well, today it didn't seem like faith because she's stepping on the plane. But the last three years, I'm sure, felt like faith. The last three years felt like, what is God leading my life to be a part of? What is God leading my life to produce? What is God leading my life to, be, to, to do and be? And now don't, don't be misguided because this faith is not certainty. It's not that Nicole or anybody else is like, I'm certain this will happen. In fact, I remember when she came and discussed with us, she, she was totally open to doing something here in Montreal because she wasn't certain of what the next day would bring or what the next season would bring. And then she took on some internship, um, I think, with Samaritan's Purse out in another part of the world, and she just made some steps. There was no certainty involved. And don't be misguided. When we make steps of faith, God doesn't just say it's exactly going to be this way. It's going to be perfectly laid out exactly how you think it's going to be. That faith is not certainty. Faith is, is, is moving forward, is work, is producing within God's plan, within God's will, with his strength. It's not certainty, and it does, we're never certain of success, but it does lead to life. It does lead to life. So as we pray here, I'm going to ask you to stand as we come to a close in prayer today. And maybe just let me ask you this question as we come. Maybe you've been resting in faith, but you wrestle with, and I'll admit that I do and we all do, wrestle with being led by faith. And it's so awesome to rest in faith. God has done something for you. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. We've responded to his love. We are in faith. We are in his family. But is there a gap between a life in faith and a life led by faith? A life in faith, we can often just wait for, wait in neutral, waiting for God to show up. A life led by faith often means stepping out, taking a step forward. Is there a gap there? Maybe God's been nudging you, prompting you. And don't, don't get confused with Nicole's story because that's her story. And she is right now maybe a 24, 25-year-old girl that um, you know, has her unique situation and her circumstances. But God is, God is working in your life, whatever your life is. And it's not about certainty necessarily exactly what the next step is, but is 
God, how would we be described as our work, our life being produced by faith? And maybe you're here today and that phrase we said earlier, faith changes what we depend on. Maybe you've been just discovering Jesus. Maybe you've just been exploring what Christianity is about. And ultimately, let me, let me invite you and challenge you with this today. Faith changes what you depend on. Faith changes that you will not be depending on the systems and values and, and advertisements of our world and the trajectory of that, but turning to the God who raised Jesus from the dead and saying, I will serve you. I will love you. I will call you Lord. If that's you today, maybe God has been prompting you to change what you depend on, to put your faith in Jesus because it's ultimately about trust. It's really about trust for all of us. Let's pray. God, it's so exciting to read uh, these words from the Apostle Paul. Work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope. God, thank you that you have met, you have led many of us here to faith. You have led many of us, God, by the prompting of your spirit, by the work of the gospel, through deep conviction, you have led many of us to faith. Many have turned to you, put our faith in you, and ultimately trust you when we say Jesus is Lord. And God, I thank you for that. That is so awesome, so wonderful. And yet, God, there's this, there's this pull, there's this challenge, this invitation that we are not just led to faith, but our faith is leading us to something. Lord, together as a church community, we long to be led by faith. We long to be led to the kind of church and expression of your kingdom that you call us to be, but also individually, God, in our lives, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our careers, in our homes, in our families, in our friendships, in marriage or singleness, in, in different um, just expressions of life. God, we long for our faith to produce a life where we follow you, Lord. So lead us and guide us, we pray. And God, thank you for anyone here today who is making a decision, even right now, to change their faith. To change their faith in whatever their life has been led by and to put their faith in you. Thank you that as they do that, as they make that step, as they declare that even right now in their heart or with their lips that Jesus is Lord, Lord, that they are declaring to put their trust in you and you will fill them with your spirit and lead them and guide them and together as a community we can keep growing into your image. God, we pray this and thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Um, Join us next week as we explore hope together. Amen.